committed to paper. In the beginning, of course, whilst Nell's father had been alive, it had all been entirely straightforward. Donald O'Driscoll was employed by the estate as head gamekeeper, which meant he and his family were entitled to occupy the pink house. When he had died of pneumonia at the age of 42, nobody in authority had had either the heart or the nerve to turf Miriam and her four children out of their home. And by the time the other villagers had begun to complain amongst themselves about the unfairness of it all, Miriam and the Earl had already embarked upon their scandalous affair. Estate cottages were occupied by those who worked for the estate. And in her own way, that was what Miriam had done. All I have to do now, Nell thought wryly, is to persuade Marcus Kilburton to see it that way too. I don't know, she shrugged, twiddling ice cubes with her index finger. But we'll find out tomorrow morning. I'm seeing him at 10.30. Poor man, my heart bleeds for him. Evidently times are hard, and he's down to his last few million. That's why he needs to evict my mother. The friendship between Hetty and Nell, on the surface an unlikely one, had been founded over the years and remained firm. When Hetty, in a rare burst of defiance, had ignored the chuntering disapproval of busybody villagers and asked Nell O'Driscoll to be her regular babysitter, she had earned the young girl's eternal gratitude. And not only had Nell been brilliant with Rachel, she had become, over the years, a brilliant friend, too. Deeply loyal to her feckless family, she was irreverent, spirited, and marvellous at cheering people up when they most needed it. Yet she managed at the same time to exude an air of mystery that Hetty both envied and admired. It couldn't have been easy, being born an O'Driscoll. Yet Nell had simply gone ahead and done her own thing, refusing to allow the gossips to get her down. For Hetty, who was about as mysterious as a loaf of bread, and who had only recently discovered what it was like to be gossiped about, it was comforting to have Nell as a kind of role model, and to know she didn't have to let it get to her, either. That wasn't to say the events of the past eighteen months had necessarily been easy. Using Nell as a role model was one thing, but keeping your spirits up when your husband swapped you for a younger, thinner, and infinitely more glamorous woman was hard enough on its own. When he didn't even have the decency to move out of the village with her, moving himself instead into her immaculate, equally glamorous house within binocular-peering distance of his old home, Hetty had wondered quite what she'd done to deserve such public humiliation. In some respects, of course, she knew she had been fortunate. The eventual death of the marriage hadn't been too bad at all, simply because the marriage itself hadn't been that great. Shaming though it was to have to admit it, no longer having to actually share a house with Tony had come as no hardship. After eighteen years of putting up with his pernickety ways, passion for golf, and desperate attempts at social climbing, life without him was positively idyllic. It was just a shame, Hetty felt, that he couldn't have moved further than two hundred yards away. Starting out all over again as a single woman was complicated enough on its own without the added handicap of feeling you were being watched over from a not very great distance. It was one of the famous drawbacks of village life anyway, having your every move monitored and commented upon. Hetty was used to that. But it really was a bit much, she felt, when the chief commentators were your ex-husband and his unbearably smart new mistress. 
Our love's young dreamers, by the way. Nell, with her uncanny knack for reading people's minds, looked suitably serious. Still at it like rabbits? Hetty giggled. Tony, never one of life's more ardent lovers, had evidently been transformed by Vanessa into some kind of six-times-a-night stud. This was, according to Vanessa, anyway, who was astonishingly open and above-board when it came to sex, and who was forever boasting to Hetty how marvellous Tony was in bed. Personally, Hetty felt he must have undergone a willy transplant. Either that or Vanessa was telling vast, shameless fibs, fantasising on overtime in a desperate attempt to convince herself he really was that good. Well, Tony dropped by yesterday to see Rachel, and all he could do the whole time was moan about his aching back. Hetty tried not to laugh at the memory of her ex-husband hobbling across the kitchen. He says it's interfering with his golf swing. I asked him if he couldn't get one of the other...